Greetings, everybody. This is a Travel Addict podcast where you can hear candid stories and discussions about business and adventure travel from around the world with activities such as trekking, diving, camping, driving, cruising, and just plain chilling out somewhere. We talk about lots of experiences in places all over the world, including the grand, the remote, the edgy, the risque, and ones of questionable merit. Education, fulfillment, and wonder enrich our lives. And of all the books in the world, the best stories are found between the pages of a passport. Stay tuned. Hello, everybody. Malcolm Teasdale here, the travel addict. Hope you're all well under these hard times, so to speak. Anyway, today I have Lisa Skatulski here with me. And I believe I pronounced that correctly, which is good. Passed my first test today. Anyway, glad you could be here because um, she travels, but she travels with a difference. And it, it intrigued me. She actually contacted me and explained what she did. So I thought, i got to speak to Lisa to find out the details here because doing some of these things she's done really intrigued me. So, Lisa, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to meet you. Oh, nice to meet you too. And um, I've compiled a few questions, and mm-hmm. it seems to me that you've done some good stuff in recent years, right? Now, I'm going to ask you why you did it. Did your friends, like, talk you into it, or did you freely just said, I want to do this? Oh, definitely the latter. Um, actually, a lot of my friends think I'm uh, kind of crazy. They, I get some mixed reviews. You know, there are people that are like, oh, you just go to Brazil, and my response is, I don't just anything. I, I plan for this and I, I reset the rest of my life to make room for this. So, um, you know, there is a lot of that kind of setting of expectations among my friends. The way the travel bug hit me at first was when I was in maybe seventh or eighth grade, I was reading Bram Stoker's Dracula, you know, normal, typical fodder for a seventh, seventh grader. And they just jump continents in that book so much. They go from, from England to Turkey to America. To, and I was just like, oh, you can just do this. Wow. And that's where it just, my imagination started rolling. And then when I went to college, I was doing campus visits as one does. And I learned about the semester at sea program. And so I was in the graphic design program and everybody was like, go to Florence. That's where the art students go. And I thought, you know, why don't I hit 13 countries instead of one? So I did semester at sea. I lived (laughs) on a ship for four months. So, uh, you know, um, we did 14 countries in four months, went all the way around the globe on a ship. It's about a thousand people, students, teachers, yeah. and the ship staff. Mm-hmm. And since then, I just, I met, uh, fast forward a couple years after that, I met a drummer who said he was going to Nicaragua and would I like to come with? And I said, you know what, man, like, I'm going to give you one chance to rescind that offer because I'll take you up on it. <laughs> and ah. look back. All right. Well, hey, it's, it's good. What you do. And quite evidently, you you have got the travel bug. So you're a bit of an mm-hmm. addict like me. This is all about you here. And I know you've done some volunteer work, right? Mm-hmm. And that's very commendable, by the way. And, I, you. you know, in my older age, I'm on a quest to learn how the rest of the world works. So I, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm big for learning about foreign cultures. I lecture about it myself, actually. So it's a good thing what you're doing. Now, I'm going to ask you about some of the places. Uh, you, you mentioned a few places here. Now, bring up the first one. You mentioned... Anan, which is on the west coast mm-hmm. of India, right? 
Mm-hmm. Now, more plates. Now, I'm familiar with India to, to a certain extent. I've never been to Anand. Why there? There is an IVF clinic there. And so a friend of mine is uh, an egg donor. And so she was donating her eggs. And there's she's in a registry for that. And a couple whose wife looks just like her wanted to use her eggs. But they said, only if you go to this IVF clinic in Anand. And so, you know, my friend got this whole package deal, got, you know, a, a hotel stipend, a food stipend every day. And she was given a buddy companion and her partner couldn't go because of his job. Okay. And I was her only friend who had been to India before. So I got an invite. And so that's like a lot of my travel. It's funny because a lot of my travel to some of these farther flung places are very opportunist, are very, the opportunity presented itself. And I was ready to say yes, more so than I didn't have travel books on Anna and at my house. <laughs> so we just, we did that. We were there for three weeks and it was a different kind of volunteer experience than normal because in other places it was very structured. And here we were there to be, and I've at the IVF clinic, we had more of a goal in mind yeah. and they didn't have a volunteer program set up. So we just started looking for trouble. They're just like, Oh, Hey, can we sweep the lobby? Oh, Hey, can we deliver something? And so we started integrating to the community. Yeah, sure. And after we were there for a couple do, yeah. weeks. Yeah. Yeah. We just, we just ran around helping wherever we could. And it was a really enriching, it was an incredible experience. How long were you there for? What did you say? That trip was only three weeks. A few weeks. But it was yeah. Yeah. Did you get, I, I know it's India. Did you get a chance to mm-hmm. see the Taj Mahal while you were there? Not on that trip, but I have been there separately. You've been there separately. So have, okay. I've been in India three, yeah, I've gone back to India three times in different places each time. And so yeah. I have done the Golden Triangle and all that. Yeah, you, you, went, you went to see the Taj Mahal. Yeah, it's, it's a wonderful place, I must admit. I was in Delhi for work. Mm-hmm. I just stayed an extra couple of days there just so I could take an excursion out of Delhi mm-hmm. to Agra, go and see that wonderful building there. It's unbelievable, really. So, uh, oh, well, extraordinary. Wonderful. Yeah. So you're there a few weeks and uh, helping out there, great thing to do. How far, are, I think Goa is on that coast, isn't it? Is it north of Goa, G-O-A? Oh, I know I know Goa. I, I don't know the geography well enough to know if it's north yeah, or south of Goa. Just... I know it's it's central, western. It's it's in Gujarat, yeah. so it's it's close by. Um, but I don't know in terms of yeah. how long of a drive that is between the two. That sort yeah, of thing. well, it's probably a long distance. I'm just curious because it, yeah. it is a sort of a vacation spot per se. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's that yeah. many in India, but I'm glad you went there. Well, yeah, me too. And it was so interesting because it was very much not, it wasn't off the beaten track in that it wasn't, you know, villages. We weren't going into, you know, the outskirts. We were in yeah. a town, but nobody spoke English. I mean, it was, it was not like going oh, really? to Delhi. It was, yeah, it was very, um, it was like going to the suburbs of a city, like a Cincinnati, you know what I mean? It was like, it was, these are people's everyday lives, people getting groceries, you know, it wasn't impoverished. I've been in some very poor places Yeah, and it wasn't, re, it wasn't um, a destination. And that to me was really fascinating too. You know, it's like, you can go to Mexico and go to Mexico city and then go to volunteer on the outskirts of Mexico city. And you're still within reach of this bigger experience. Mm-hmm. And this was just, you know, one one of our um we met someone there who was a bike courier and his mom made us dinner one night just invited us into their home and so that was kind of the experience there well excellent you know my favorite food is actually indian hot and spicy is it oh yeah well i'm a brit right so i grew up with oh of course yeah british food is a good takeaway yeah yeah uh, yeah (laughs) so i grew up with that but uh, yeah i remember i've been to, to to delhi a few times for for work it's just a a large gap between the very wealthy and the poor there. So there's a lot of homeless Absolutely. on the street there. And mm-hmm. it's, it's sad to look at, but, you know, I wasn't going to be critical of the place, but it was 
just a very rich cultural experience, but uh, all, all good. Second up, you mentioned um, a Brazil. You mentioned City of God. Now, when you refer to City of God, are you referring mm-hmm. to the suburb that's sort of south of Rio there? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now, I heard about I never went there myself because I, I, I was uh, in Rio and I went to Sao Paulo. Mm-hmm. But I know about that area. It's uh, mm-hmm. sort of downtrodden. But tell me about your experience there. Absolutely. So just for anybody who doesn't know, City of God is one of the poorest favelas in um, Rio and is famous in the 80s for being a hotbed of drug activity. And so it's it's been to the point where it's a very self-sustaining culture inside of City of God. Police don't go in. There have been uprisings inside there. There have been protesting. There's been demonstrations. Yeah. Um, and even now, as I went in, I wouldn't recommend, I absolutely wouldn't recommend wandering in. I went in through through somebody that was an established person there. And even with that established person, I received threats that he talked them out of threatening me. Yes. Right. So what happened was um, I, a friend of mine who is from Sao Paulo had put together, he was working with a mega church in Tennessee and they had a big sum of money they wanted to invest in a project. And so there were three site visits across Brazil. Yeah. So we started in City of God, and then we went to um, Brasilia, and then we went to Campinas. Okay. And so we saw three different projects there. And because I knew the person who was putting the trip together, and because I had met some of these people at the different sites, I was brought in as kind of a, you know, like a goodwill ambassador type. So I was doing a lot of facilitation and doing, you know, just helping people feel comfortable who haven't traveled as much. Yeah. And also kind of running some point on logistics. What's our flight number? Is everybody comfortable? That sort of yeah. thing. So in City of God we were working with a group that um, there, what a lot of people don't know is that there are schools and hospitals inside the favelas. And so people do grow up there and it's, it's a harrowing experience because it is very, you know, the day we went there, this tour guide first walked us in and there are teenagers with semi-automatic rifles that are patrolling that are local to there. And this poor guy, he's like, He's like, you're going to see babies and needles and, and emaciated dogs. And I walk in and I'm like, oh, this. Looks, so I'd already been to Nicaragua at this point and been mm-hmm. in a place of deep poverty. And I was like, oh, this looks like La Chiraca. Give me a baby. <laughs> I was like, I wasn't phased by it because I'd seen it before, thankfully. Yeah. Um, but then he showed us a church inside City of God where there were still bullet holes in the walls from where yeah. people, had, you know, so you're seeing all these things. And what was incredible to me was after the initial vouching that this man did for our team, it was myself and um, and four other people, you know, a small group let in by somebody. And with this vouching, all of a sudden we were given more free reign to interact with people and ask them questions. And, you yeah. know, this one woman, I, I'm not fluent in Portuguese, but I could tell this woman was calling me a B word. <laughs> and he, she was like, what are you doing bringing this B into my house? And I turned to her and I'm like, amiga. like, I'm sorry, sister, I'm a friend. And her face just dropped. And then we were buddies after that. You know, and it, it showed me how little it can take, how little compassion, how little seeing somebody and acknowledging them and saying, like, I'm here to help. And just, yeah. you know, setting yeah. that that line where it needs to be and not in a place where I'm I'm not here to criticize you. I'm not here to take anything from you or to say I know better how to live your yeah. life than you do. I'm just here to be here for you. That has been the greatest door opener an equalizer in those moments that I've ever found. Is Yeah, just I just want to be, obviously, uh, yeah. they're, not, they're not used to seeing people like you. You say you had a tour sure. guide took you in there or, or just a, was it, who, who led oh, you so, in there? 
Right. So I'm not naming the nonprofits just because some of them don't want, you know, don't yeah, like that. to be named. Yeah. Um, he was a local pastor that worked with a nonprofit that was in, was embedded in city of God yeah. and still is. And so he'd been in there for years. Oh, he's accepted, he was. Yeah. So yeah, that, yeah, that's good. Yeah. So that vouching process. Yeah. Obviously you, you, as I said, you wouldn't want to venture in there yourself, obviously. Do not wander into the city of God. <laughs> it, just, it, it takes me back because when I, when I was in Rio, all those years ago, mm-hmm. when I met up with a new business partner down there, he said to me, mm-hmm. Malcolm, we'll have meetings and stuff, but be careful here. Just don't go out downtown or in the city center. I said, well, why? He said, well, you're a gringo. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I'm assuming you know where the name gringo comes from, don't you? Is when I, the, I think so. Yeah, go yeah, ahead. It's, it's when the military uh, were, were around there, and they were sick of having presence of the military there, the armed for, for foreign forces in there, but they always mm-hmm. wore green. So they said, green, go. And that's where it came from. Green. Oh, I haven't heard that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's some, wow. But he, said, he, but he yeah. said he said to me, uh, Paolo, he said, mm-hmm. you know, Malcolm, just stay, stay indoors. Don't venture out. Well, of course, I completely ignored that. And of course, yeah. yeah, of course, Catherine, it made me want to go out more, but I did find an Irish pub. But anyway, I under I understand <laughs> it, it can be troublesome. Any city in the world, you just don't go to the bad places, right? right. Uh, yeah, yeah, just, yeah, there's still, there's still you. So the last time I was there was probably eight or 10 years ago. So it's been a minute, but it's even then it was keep your city sense about you, you know, look yeah. around, so you know, who's within you yeah. know reach of you at all times. Um, and it is, it's, it's like, I'm from Chicago and Chicago can change from block to block in terms of safety. Yeah. Right. And so it's, it is kind of a crapshoot of like, is this block safe? Is next block safe? And so if you're in Rio, I find Portuguese harder to understand, you know, I, I again, not fluent, but Spanish, French, Italian, I can hear a lot of it. Portuguese, yeah. I have a harder time discerning it. So I think it's, I think it's not just that it's a strange town, but that it is, you know, there is higher crime. There is more street crime. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I still wouldn't recommend somebody just go for a, go for a walkabout, but um, yeah, it's not what it was in the eighties and it's not what it was in the nineties. No, so, you know, it's. Well, the yeah, other thing that yeah. happened was in recent mm-hmm. years, they, they held the world cup there. They had Absolutely. to tie in security there because of mm-hmm. all these countries and fans were coming from different parts of the world. This goes back several years now like when they had the world cup there. So they had mm-hmm. to behave basically to be able to give them permission to, to hold right. up there. And it, and it was a, a, eventually a success. It's a, one of the most beautiful looking cities. Oh, it's gorgeous. And it Brazilian people yeah. are at the top of my list. I mean, in terms of hospitality, I have never eaten so well. I've never <laughs> been, you know, invited into more places. I mean, it, like it, the the friendliness and the the capacity to just welcome you in and have a seat at the table for you and just, you know, all the, you know, the churrasque, the, you know, all the ways that they eat are shared plates. And yeah. I think that's such a that's that's like a emblematic of my whole experience in Brazil. Yeah. Exactly. Anywhere I've been. But you speak yeah. a bit of the language, right? Speak a bit of Portuguese, or like please and thank you. Like I can, the important I can words, hear right? More than I can, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I can okay. hear more than I can speak. Mm-hmm. Okay. If somebody talks to me, I can usually discern most of it. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I I just find that most countries in the world now speak English. I speak five languages. Oh wow! Right on. English, American, Canadian, Australian, and South African. Oh, I see. <laughs> you speak dialect. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I know, cheap, but it's all right. <laughs> anyway, the third place I want to ask you about, and I read about this, and uh, La Shureka, and yes. translation mm-hmm. is dump. 
sort of outside of Managua. And I, I've seen pictures of this, and it's an atrocious place. Uh, tell me about your experience there. So that was when I met the drummer. Um, we went to Nicaragua, and it was an incredible so the the charity that that he started since then it's called Love Led and Melody, and it's it that group collects resources and people to go back to La Chiraca and keep investing yeah. in that area. And they've started an orphanage and a school, and there's there's a whole bunch of good work going on down there. Um, what happened was, so I've been there, I want to say six times. The first time we were down there, our driver said, um, "You want to see where I grew up?" And of course, we're like, "Yeah, of course, yeah, that sounds great." Yeah. And he goes, "The girl can't come." And of course I was like, huh, what, you know, like indignant, you know, and, um, and, but then we found out later it was the same thing. He was vouching for people. So he took a, the, the driver, you know, you hire a van for the week kind of thing. And the yeah. driver, he took the guys into, into La Chiraca, which is the city dump of Managua of the yeah. capital of Nicaragua. And it's a community of, um, I think the last count was around 1400 people that live inside the city dump. And it is, it's some of the worst poverty I've ever been around. And so this is like, people are looking for ketchup packets from that other people have thrown out as their sustenance to eat. Yeah. And there's child prostitution, there's drug abuse, there's broken families, this, this whole scenario, right? This deep, deep poverty. But at the same time, there's a church inside La Chiraca, there's school inside La Chiraca. There's There are some structures where people do try to come together and make life better for themselves. Yeah, they're and helping so each other. And, yeah, how yeah many, exactly. How many people live there, did you say? Around 1,400, oh, 1,400. So yeah, wow. Yeah. And it's been going on. So what happened was, this is going back to the 90s. In 1998, Hurricane Mitch destroyed a lot of the infrastructure of Nicaragua, and parts of it have never recovered. You yeah. know, parts of it recovered in bits and pieces. The postal system is still janky. The You know, there's still corruption. You know, it's, it's, it's a poor country, and this is a poor part of the poor country. And so... Yeah. Um, to get stable footing and to, you know, it, it's so hard to be upwardly mobile in any place in the world, especially in a place like that. So what has been incredible again, is that we're not in there. We've been very, I say we, I've been less involved in the last few years, but we were very cognizant of not being the white saviors that come in to fix things, but more to enable people to, to have community and build leadership from within their own community. Yeah. Another program is called Lacrosse the Nations, where a former professional lacrosse player brought lacrosse in as a game because the kids would pick to the trash and they were naturally good at the sticking that happens in lacrosse. And so yeah. it just kind of it was a very transferable skill set, apparently. And that's how they started doing more summer camp sort of programs and leadership kind of yep. programs. And so giving people ways to um, discover things about themselves in terms of how to um, have that structure and have that opportunity come about. So that's kind of how that all started to come about. And it's really grown into some very robust programs now. And it's, it's become this beautiful thing to the point that it's, it's bigger than the nonprofits I've mentioned now. It's, it's getting more attention from oh, the government. It's yeah, yeah. Yeah. I spent time a few days in Kathmandu and the area yeah. just mentioned, I believe there's an area in the city of Kathmandu. Kathmandu is the most chaotic place I've ever been to, by the way. Mm -hmm. But there's an area you mentioned in that city. And I, I, was, I wasn't driving. That would be the last place I would personally drive. But I was in a passenger in a car going past this mm -hmm. area. And it, it was on a main road, but it was, it, it was parallel to the main road. And it went on for probably several hundred yards. And it was just garbage, mm -hmm. but there was people sifting through it. Yeah, you know? yeah. And I thought, how sad is this? 
religion is very important there. So I'm, I'm, I'm sure people mm-hmm. just it's so steeped in religion, and that's how they get by. Yeah. Each day, I'm, I'm sure with, mm-hmm. with the help of uh, religion, which is Buddhism and Hinduism. There, so aside from those places, there's probably many more in the world that are like that. I guess absolutely, yeah. yeah. Well, and I think what's so important is, you know, some people have declined to engage with these stories from where I've been because they can't believe that that's a thing. They're like, oh, it's so bad. I just can't. And I'm like, that 14-year-old has to. What do you mean you just can't? You know what I mean? So it's like, like it's it's funny because it's kind of shortened my fuse on entitlement. And I think that's the biggest gift of travel is that it's like when Americans want to have an American experience somewhere else, I'm like, just stay home and go to Applebee's. You know, it's like, what yeah, are you I doing? I, I know yeah, yeah. you're exactly right, but I find that, so you've got a taste of this and you've experienced mm-hmm. a lot of it. And I think you want to do more of it. And Absolutely. I don't go to the, the extremes you do, by the way, I just go off the beaten track and mix with foreign cultures. But I, mm-hmm. I the more I do it, the more I want to do it. Yes. Uh, so, you know, I've, I've set my goals on to doing a bit more this year, um, but these experiences mm-hmm. stay with you, right? I live on a beach. Unfortunately, it's a nice beach, but, yeah, I could go to the beach at the weekend with friends and just sure. uh, have food on the beach and swim in the Gulf. And it's it's a beautiful experience. And yeah, we have a good time. But those experiences don't stay with you like the stuff that you yeah. do. And, or maybe I'm done. And it's, you always think about that mm-hmm. periodically. It's like, well, this, this is important. This is important. Yeah. And uh, I'll always remember this. And hopefully you've got photographs and videos. you got photographs of all these places you went to? I do. Yeah. Yeah. I'm working on revamping my website and, you know, sharing some more of that Um, because there is, you know, I, I, by day I work in advertising and I had the opportunity to talk to my, the company where I work about my travel. Yeah. And, you know, I was just saying that it's, um, it's exactly what you're saying that not only does it stay with you more than anything else, but it expands you more than anything else. And it shows you how, people solve problems. It just makes you more of a humanist. It helps connect you with the world around you in such yeah. a different way. And there's a time and a place for the beach. I don't judge, you know, like if people want to do that, like yeah. the beaches are beautiful. I get it. I also get antsy on a beach. I can handle a couple hours and then I want to be like, okay, I want to like, there's stuff to do. I remember yeah. a couple of years ago, I went to the country of Bhutan. If you ever get a chance to go there, uh-huh. you've got to do it, Lisa. But I said, yeah. I told a couple of people, I'm going to Bhutan. And they mm-hmm. said, what is that? Yeah. Right. I just like find a balance. I mean, when we were in India, it was such a nice balance of that where we would do chores in the morning and then go to a temple in the evening. And, yeah. you know, we would still have dinner on the veranda and, you know, it was, it was every bit as romantic as it sounds, you know? And, um, but it was, it wasn't just one thing. And that's what yeah. I'd really encourage people to do is like, don't let the trip, if you're going to, I don't judge staying at a nice hotel, going to a nice dinner. I love a good cocktail. I'm all for it. But if you go there and don't understand where you are, then you're wasting, then you've lost an opportunity that could be so good for you. Yeah. You know, and that's what kills me. Cause even when you were saying earlier about speaking different languages, one of my favorite stories was I I've had the luck to go through uh, the Narita airport a, a few times. Now I've had layovers in Narita, Japan, and I love that airport <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> by, by gate 36. It's just modern and clean. And oh, you know, yeah. it's, there are a couple of, little uh tchotchke knickknack stores that are full of hello kitty stuff and it just always feels very fun and um 
the last time I was there, I got, I had like a 17 hour layover in Narita. So I went through customs and I took the train into Narita proper. And I was thinking to myself, like, if you screw this up, you are in so much trouble because, you know, I clearly don't speak Japanese. And so I get off the train in Narita and, you know, I'm looking at the map and I'm trying to compare the characters and all that. And I just go for a walk around the block. And the whole time I'm thinking to myself, like, should I leave breadcrumbs? Should I leave a piece of yarn? You know, I'm like, how do I retrace my steps back to the train? But I found this tiny hole in the wall where you walk into the door and there's, it's kind of a, it's like the, the depth of maybe two dinner tables. And yeah. it's just, there's a, a bar, like a standing only bar. I walk in, I look confused and the chef looks up A chef, you know, is working with yep. skewers and pouring beers. So he goes, Biru? And I'm like, hi, Biru. You know, and I sit down and he gets me a big beer. And then I see somebody eating a skewer and I wave at the guy and I kind of point to the skewer and point to me. And he brings me a couple of skewers and I have a meal by myself in Narita. And so I pull up my phone and in Google Translate, I wrote, I'm only in town for a couple hours. Thank you so much for the meal. It was delightful. And then Google Translate translated it to Japanese and I held it up for him. So as I'm going for my check, I show him the Google Translate and he like leans forward and squints and then he starts clapping and he jumped up and down. And it was like this incredible moment of just like, I could tell him I enjoyed his cooking. You know, like I, this is a moment for me and I could share it with him because of Google translate. And I just, it's just such a cool thing to express that gratitude and feel seen in a place where otherwise felt very invisible. Does that make sense? Well, yeah, but uh, you know, Japan itself is very safe. I have a a relative Mm -hmm. who lives there. My father's niece's son uh, moved to Tokyo many, many years. He's still there today, moved towards the mountains. Mm-hmm. It's a very, very safe city, by the way. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Very, very low crime. But Japan at a whole, yeah. And it's, uh, but as you said, the airport's great, but it's, you just, yeah. down the city center, just, you just feel good walking around. Oh, okay, it's crap, mm-hmm. yeah, but it's, it's, it's a good place. But I found when I was there many, many years ago, uh-huh. there is a language barrier. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. And the fact that I was in a hotel room, the bed was about five foot long, didn't help, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's so funny because I, I never at any point felt in danger. I felt like intimidated to find my way a yeah. little bit, just because I had no tools. But just uh, like when I when I was saying that I shared this moment with this person, I didn't feel I could have gotten up and left, and I don't think anything bad would have happened. No. But it was just neat to put that layer into it of of connection when otherwise there wouldn't have been any, you know. Yeah. But yeah, to your point, I felt safe the whole time. Like Narita is a very industrial town. So you yeah. get off the train and it's not like there are temples. You're not going to Nara. You're not going to Kyoto. You know, <laughs> it's like this kind of funky industrial town. And you're like, is this a tourist? What am I doing here? And then I just was like, I saw some people walking out of a restaurant. I'm like, okay, let's try that. Yeah. yeah it's, it's Worst case, right. the food is bad. Yeah. <laughs> and and beer, oh, dear, oh, dear. beer. Beer is beer <laughs> anywhere in the world. You know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Actually, this, this is my. This is what I realize here. The the, the most commonly used English wo- word in the world is beer. It's I not, it's that, not yeah. taxi, right? Mm-hmm. It's beer. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, you get by with saying that anyway. Anyway, what, what's next for you then? Uh, you got anything planned for this year or coming up next year or or what? Yeah. So I've written my first book. You're right. And that's the big thing. So that is in final edits. It'll be up for sale on Amazon on the end of the month, March 31st. And it's called Faithful Nomad. And it's basically about 
you know, um, I talked in the very beginning of our conversation today about seventh grade and what, what, what influenced travel, but I left out part of the story, which is I'm from the North side of Chicago, which is a very affluent part of the United Mm -hmm. States. And it's funny because we didn't move there until I was in maybe the third or fourth grade. And so I didn't grow up with a spoon with the silver spoon in my mouth, but I was around those people for most of my childhood into early adult into early adulthood. And when I was 16, I went to South Dakota with my church for a youth group work camp kind of thing. We just went out there for a week to support a sister church out there. And that was the first time I saw that other people's lives were completely unlike my own. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, it sounds so unprofound, but when you're 16, it's kind of a big deal, you know, and that set me on a path. Yeah. And, you know, the book is about, I've dealt with chronic illness. I've dealt with travel. I've dealt with getting laid off a lot. I work in advertising. There are always layoffs to worry about. And it's a book about resilience and how I don't run away to travel. What I do is when I travel, it strips away all of the ways that I think I'm defined and it shows me who I really am. Yeah. And that's what I want to give to people is, you know, challenge those things about yourself, be like brutally honest with yourself about who you are. And then you'll find that you, that you can find your path. And so the, the subtitle of the book is uh, finding your path and there's no destination. Yeah. So where I am today is like brand new author turned 40 last month, single, you know, like just kind of, I don't know what I didn't anticipate life looking like this, but this year in particular, um, I to outrun COVID. I moved to Ireland with some friends. And so I don't have a lease right now. I can literally carry everything I own in two suitcases. And so it's a very transitory period in my life right now. But, okay. uh, yeah, so the book is kind of hopefully a grounding element for that. And I'm not quite sure what comes after that, to be honest, if you have any suggestions, I'm all ears. <laughs> we could talk all day about suggestions right <laughs> what we ought to do though i'll tell you what let's swap books yeah, yeah please oh, i'd love that yeah, yeah all right well we'll, yeah, we'll we'll get details later but you know what i'm looking at this year is actually country of namibia nothing nothing wrong about starting to plan right now of course i know right? oh my gosh my pinterest is out of control i yeah because i you know, it's so funny too. I, I, when I talk about being an opportunist traveler, it is an openness to like, you know, I mentioned I moved to Ireland. And so this year what I'm doing is I lived in Galway, which is the West coast of Ireland yeah. for the first couple of months. And now I'm in Denver and then I'm going to go back to Ireland this summer. And then I'm going to, in the fall, friends of mine have a farm in Northern California. I'm going to go live out on their farm and yeah. like feed the turkeys and, write another book and then then I'll probably and but then what's so funny is that 2021 I have no idea where I'm going after that so there's that but um your point is of opportunist traveler is I didn't grow up thinking I'd ever live in in Ireland I like I'm Italian and you know what I mean like I'd always thought that if I went somewhere to try another country that I would go to my homeland (laughs) and I just I love that I've learned so much by being open to the opportunity. So by being open to Nicaragua, being open to Ireland, you know, I went to Myanmar right before the Rohingya trouble started. And so we were there, oh my gosh, we were there right when the civil conflict started, but it was, it was a hundred miles from where we were staying. Which is going to be fairly recently. I was there just before, before Mm -hmm. that. A trouble started. I, I just stayed in Yangon, though. But the, mm-hmm. the the troublesome you mentioned was just that wasn't that just like a couple of years ago? Yeah, so we were there four years ago, and uh, we were in Yangon, and then went up north to Inle Lake. 
Yeah. And it was interesting because I had the same reaction that you've had where people were like, where are you going? Why? Isn't there trouble there? Are you going to be okay? Do you, and then, and then it just, you know, gets more anxious sounding after that. And I was like, you guys, there's, you know, there's the whole, you know, structure there to keep us safe. We're not, we're, we're staying on top of the news. We're not going anywhere war torn, you know? And if I knew then what I know now about the atrocities going on there, I don't know if I would have made the same choice because I don't want to support people getting hurt. You know what I mean? But yeah. I, time, it's a bit different, different now, uh, but I, yeah. I, I know for sure there's what I will call remnants of the British empire there. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm into people there and mm-hmm. from the world war days, world war two days where they were mm-hmm. left over from the British occupation and they spent mm-hmm. they're still through the generations, they've been there all their lives. You know, yeah, it's more yeah. people. I found that incredible, actually. But it's an interesting place, and you probably went to Schwedagon Pagoda, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it was unbelievable. So, uh, yeah, well, oh, it's incredible. We met wonderful people there, and like yeah. again, our tour guides all invited us to their homes. And, you know, it's just like I'd met, like, oh my gosh, that place was the most. Myanmar was the most wild of anywhere I've been since Metrosy. Yeah. It was the most like raw, unfiltered. I grew this potato in my backyard and I'm going to make you dinner with it. Like everybody grew up in a village, you know, and to your point about religious countries too, it's such a Buddhist country yeah. that it was funny. We were there for three weeks and it took me the first two weeks to relax my city cynicism where our tour guide was, was saying, you could leave your purse open on the sidewalk and nobody will touch it because it's bad karma to steal yeah. And I, you know, we, I started kind of putting it to the test. I didn't leave my purse out or my passport or anything, mm. you know, important, but I started, you know, kind of seeing what would happen. And he was, he was right. People were so kind and mm-hmm. helpful and trustworthy. And it really, it showed me that I was like, man, I have got, like, I'm a little cynical, like more than I thought you know, about my fellow man. We, we can all be a little guilty of that maybe because that's what we've been told before we actually, mm-hmm. this is all part of the learning process, isn't it? You go to a place yeah. and you learn a bit more how the people live. You learn a bit about yeah. the culture and, and you think, well, it's not really what I was told or what I read about before, you know, yeah. admittedly things may have changed, but anyway, mm-hmm. it, it, it's still a good thing. And um, mm-hmm. immigration officers in Myanmar were a different breed, but uh, I mm-hmm. had two, two goes yet and they wouldn't let me in first time because my visa had mm-hmm. expired. And oh, okay. they said, yeah, yeah, you need to get on the last flight out of town. Uh, so I went back a year later, got in. No yeah. Problem. Yeah. It, but it, it was, a, that was a, fo- a fault of the Myanmar embassy here in the United States, but yeah. they wouldn't hear my argument. So they just turned me around. It wasn't a big deal. They're lost, you know. But back to your, <laughs> but, but I think back to your philosophy of your website and your point of view too, it's just that it is the learning and the unlearning where somebody asked me recently, um, just as a conversational point, if I felt like I had it all figured out. And I was like, Honey, I don't even have frying eggs figured out. I'm sure somebody else can fry an egg better than I can, and I have something to learn about it. You know, it's like, and that's what I think is so good about this kind of travel is that the more foreign to myself I go, the more I can see what I don't know and remain flexible to being a child of the world and being like mm-hmm. open to things. And I think that's such an enriching process that people just, especially in America, when you're raised to, you know, go to school, get a job, get married, have kids, you know, work to have a second home and then maybe retire if you're lucky. You know, it's like there's this whole life cycle that you're that you're taught growing up. And I'm here to say, like, that's kind of bullshit. You know what I mean? It's like this just it's it's just not true, you know, and there's so many other ways to do things. And it's funny because I've I've two sisters and one is one is in banking and the other is a lawyer. And I work in consumer insight. 
So, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a brand planner, which means I kind of write the emotional story behind a product or service. And so, and my dad, my dad's a real estate developer. My mom is a former math teacher. So I'm like the touchy feeling one in the family. (laughs) Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it's not, it's not so dramatic as a black sheep, but I've always had to kind of stand up for this more um, esoteric decision-making process of like, Hey man, if if I've got a couch in Ho Chi Minh, I'm going to go take it. And I'm going to prioritize that over going back to somewhere I've been before. You know, Oh, I felt so bad. One time my sister who lives in Denver now, she was like, it's easier to get you to Myanmar than Denver. And I can I relate so, to that. You want to, right. And cause you wanted me to visit her and I miss my sister, but you know, I, I had a chance to go to Myanmar and I was like, yeah, but Jen, I've never been to Myanmar. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I've had to, I've had to work to repair some of those relationships and be like, I don't prior to, I don't prioritize it over you. I just, who I am is like, that won't be there. And I can go see you any weekend, you know? So it's just like, it can be hard to, hard to make it all balanced, but I think I've, I think I've hit a stride, you know, as I've gotten older and had, you know, more success in my career and more resources to use. I can bounce around a little bit more. Yeah. Well, that, but, well, that's good. And okay. Well, it's in your blood. Start doing it. Right. Don't have yeah, any yeah. You know, that that's mm-hmm. my thing. I don't want to be lying on my deathbed somewhere and they're getting ready to pull the plug. And I thought, oh, I don't, why didn't I do this when I had the chance to, I don't want any yeah. regret. So I, mm-hmm. I, I try to make my life um, fulfilled, if you will, completely. So it's all part of going somewhere, getting educated and being enlightened. It's, it's all good stuff. You would do yeah. very well, and I'm, I'm just this suggestion. These days, I, I do a lot of lecturing on for cruise lines about destination mm. cultures and stuff like that. You have interesting topics to talk about. You could do this when it, when you finish, not when you finish with the traveling, but you do well on speaking cruise ships passages on certain subjects. You know, it just piqued their interest. Oh, that sounds amazing. Yeah. But it's a cruise oh, ship. I, when I got approached yeah. about this, I got approached by an agency said, Malcolm, you ever done? been on lecturing on cruise ships i said i've never been on a cruise ship (laughs) well i I, I cage cruise ships Mm -hmm. but i I got involved with that uh but a little bit and uh Mm -hmm. it's all right but it all depends on the the places you go to and you get off the ship a couple of extra days yeah yeah, i think they've all gotten i think a lot of those have gotten better because what used to be the disney cruise and the very it used to be a very curated experience and i think that a lot of the cruise ships have caught on to the um being involved with the culture of where you're going, I think there's been a big shift in that kind of mindful travel. So I, I hadn't thought about that. And then now I'm not going to stop. The reason being it. is, but thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. Because the yeah. reason is that the people want to know, especially when they're, they're on a ship, they're going to a lot, a lot of people aren't interested. They just want to sleep, eat, not even get off the mm-hmm. ship. But some people are interested in the place they're going to dock at. So yeah. talk about a little bit about the history, geography and the culture so there's some people want to learn about that and the cruise uh, ships or the cruise lines like that. Anyway, it's just a thought. I'll trade you one. Yeah. So semester at sea, that was actually, I'll send you links for that, but um, semester at sea was so amazing because that the whole point of it was immersion, yeah. you know? And so we would learn about, um, you know, we'd, we'd learn about apartheid and then go to Cape town. Yeah. You know, we'd learn about, you know, I, I took you, you're either in class or in port. And yeah. so you're learning about these countries as you approach them. And then one thing I'll never forget was when we, we, I turned 21 on the Atlantic ocean between Brazil and, and Cape town between, uh, 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 
Oh my gosh, I just blanked on the name. Anyway, between Brazil and South Africa, I turned 21. And um, Salvador, that was it. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, I was like a city, not a country. Between Salvador, Brazil, and Cape Town, South Africa, turned 21. And um, soon after, I was just having a meal on the on the ship on um, the ship where I was living, and I saw this older guy, and I just he was sitting by himself, and I invited him to have lunch with us. And turns out he was Dennis Brutus, who is the poet, who is a poet laureate of South Africa, and he's widely credited with getting South Africa kicked out of the Olympics for racist you know yeah so in like during apartheid years and so and he's just this guy i had lunch with and so i ended up like bonding with him because he looks like you know he has this big white beard and big white poofy hair and he's just (laughs) delight to talk to and he's you know he cracks these jokes and he talks he talks like in like a he talks like a painting i mean he just kind of describes things then we get to cape town and we're doing a tour of robin island and all of the tour guides are former inmates and so i'm there with dennis brutus touring Robin Island. And he's like shooting the ship with this tour, with this tour guide who was like, man, wasn't solitary just the worst stories about Robin Island. And I'm standing there like, who am I to witness this? You know? And it was just to your point though, about the immersion and learning about it as you approach it. I think this is incredibly significant thing to, you know, if you go to Cape town, there's table mountain, there's all this history, there's the Dutch influence, there's, you know, all this stuff to do. But to miss out on that backdrop of it, I think you you miss out on so much. And so I just I love that the idea of kind of getting that briefing as you approach something to understand the significance of it. I, I make a point about now if I'm going anywhere, make a point in learning about a place before mm-hmm. I before I go there just for yeah. my own uh, benefit. And surprising, mm-hmm. you know, even if it's place like here's what Saint Petersburg, Russia, that mm-hmm. what the history is quite unbelievable. What that city has been through over the last yeah. two centuries. It's quite unbelievable. Uh, anyway, mm-hmm. it's a fabulous place today. So uh, it's good yeah. to it's good to learn about this. I mean, it's a good opportunity to pass it on to people who might not have mm-hmm. the opportunity to do it. So just yeah. a thought for you. Anyway, I just noticed something uh, on your book. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you, there's a statement you wrote, and it may be, you don't have to give the answer here, but seven rules for okay. path when there is no destination. Intriguing mm-hmm. title. Um <laughs> Thank you. My seven rules, I don't know. Not like the Ten Commandments, but I guess. No, it's not. It's not. It was It was honestly kind of a pacing thing. Like I, I wrote the outline for the book and it broke down really easily into that. And so it was the book, you know, I mentioned is really about um, how travel isn't me running away from something, but running into myself. Yeah. Right. And so what I've learned from, you know, I had, I struggled with anxiety as a kid and, and, uh, I won't get too far into it right now, but I, these health problems I talked about, I had polycystic ovarian syndrome. I, I doubled in size after college. So I'm from 150 pounds as a college student to 300 pounds. And I weighed 300 pounds for six years. And then I had this procedure called the duodenal switch when I was 28, which is normally for people that are six or 700 pounds. And, and it's just, it was an extreme solution for what I was going through, but it was what, um, solve my problem. And so, you know, it's just like, so I've been on like, I've been on the fringes of different cultures and things, but I didn't really respect myself until I was in my early thirties. And so the book is a lot about that as well, where it's about the rules, just to give a little spoiler, it's about just kind of raising, like facing yourself, raising your standards, being that way of being brutally honest with yourself and, um, and refining the process. Right. And so it is a process. You're never done. And so mm-hmm. it, it lays out this groundwork of, you know, just 
as a brand planner, as, as running that emotional side of products and services, a lot of times, even if it's like a Nike, a, a brand as big as Nike or Gatorade, it's like, just be more you. Yeah. What is your voice? What is your place in this world? What, so whether that's a brand, bring that back to you as a person just be like, what am I doing here? Why do I want this? Mm-hmm. You know? And so it's, it's looking at those questions, honestly, and then going through the practice of now that I'm 40. And like I said, 40, I, I had, I was a stepmom for six years. I have been in and out of hospitals in my twenties. I, you know, had this anxiety through junior high and high school. That was really pretty traumatic. And, you know, so like I've been through some stuff. So now that I'm here and I never anticipated this stage, I do need to check in with myself again and say, what are my standards and who do I want to be? And like, why, you know, and, and what is that person? You know, because I'm not mm-hmm. the same person as the first time I've been to Nicaragua. So, so the seven rules, it's not, it's not like 10 commandments. It's not like, you know, um, it just kind of naturally worked out that way, but I think it's, it was a very gratifying book to write. And I hope for people like me who, who didn't subscribe to that system of American culture of how to grow up, you know, I, I don't see a lot of voices like that out there. Mm-hmm. And I don't see a lot of people kind of explaining how they find their way. Yeah. Cause I know that I haven't had a model, you know, even in advertising, I look to the chief strategy officer and I think, how do they get there? But then I step back and I'm like, is that a job I even want? Do I want to be the chief anything of anything? Or do I want to, like, what do I want to do with this chapter of my life? You yeah. know? And so I'm kind of taking this creative sabbatical right now to, um, to, help, to like get behind the book. And, you know, my publisher is really happy with it and and she wants me to start a couple others. And, you know, so it's like, it's okay. very yeah. open yeah, there's a pretty open landscape right now in terms of what I could do next. And so how did you find um, your publisher, by the way? Did you go online just seek it out or did you No, she's a friend of a friend. And so I've been I had this idea in my head about self-respect in your career because mm-hmm. I know a lot of women struggle with that and a lot of especially in the Me Too and yeah. After era and even before, but I mean there's been more vocabulary around it since Me yeah. Too. Um so that's where the idea started and I'd been talking about it for a long time. And then a friend of a friend of mine was like, you should talk to my friend, Melissa. And we, you know, we had a virtual coffee and I just, I sent her a couple samples of writing and we just went from there. Okay. Wonderful. Hey, yeah. it's amazing yeah. you've been to now and again, it all, it all helps anyway. That's wonderful. Now, if anyone, yeah. um, so I mentioned your website, but obviously um, there's that and the, your book coming out on Amazon. People may have difficulty spelling your name, by the way. So, <laughs> of course, I yeah. Know that. <laughs> when this episode gets uh, posted, I have all that information, your website, and all that. Is there anything else you Thank want you. people to know out there, public to know about, if they want to reach out? And, you know, I need to know more about your writings or, or stuff. <laughs> sure. You know? Yeah, yeah. No, I pre- thank you so much for asking. Um, my website is going to be updated after the pre-launch is over, so there'll be more more kind of information. Yeah. But um, I'm also posting on Instagram a lot. So it's the same. It's Faithful Nomad on Instagram. And uh, I'm always up to hearing from people, whether it's Instagram, LinkedIn, or just email. You know, I'm around. Okay. Well, I've got your email address. So that's good. Yeah. Thank you so much. All right. I really appreciate it. And how long we've been on the phone? Oh, it's been about an hour. So, yeah. Um, But anyway, thanks for joining me today. It's been a lot of fun. I can't remember having spoke to anybody before who's done some of the work you've done um, oh, in some of you. these uh, in uh, destitute areas of the world. It's uh, it's very commendable, like I said. So, and anyway, I wish you all the best for the future. Thank and, you. Likewise. Uh, yeah, you've got plenty of years ahead of you to 
different kinds of good stuff, haven't you? So uh, best of luck. Keep in touch. If you want to swap books, like I said, just let me know. I'd be happy to do that. Have you got any other questions? No, I'm excited to to keep in touch and hear about everything you've got going on and and just to know how I can keep supporting you. The other, oh, there's one other thing. If other people are interested in, um, I joined the Nomadist, like uh, I'll send you the information for it. It's called Nomadist and you can buy into a Slack channel. And so it's all these, you know, tech, it's mostly tech people, but it's, um, it's remote workers and it's a shared Slack group for remote okay. workers. Yeah. So every country they have like, what's the, where's the best Wi-Fi in, you know, Hanoi, <laughs> you can like talk to different people and this is incredible oh, yeah. community. So I've got a lot of resources for okay. other travelers and aspiring travelers. So, um, always up for conversations about that. All right. Excellent. All right. Yeah. Good stuff, Lisa. Well, thanks again for joining me. Uh, we'll be in contact uh, some other time in the future. But until then, I wish you well you. and uh, good luck with getting the vaccines. And soon as you've got them, them out of the way, you'll be, well, not free to go, but at least you've got something done and you can look forward to uh, travel in the future. All right? Exactly. Exactly. Right. Well, safe travels to you too. And it's been a delight talking to you. Thank you so much. All right. Take care, Lisa. All right. You too. In touch. Bye-bye. Bye. Many thanks for joining me today. This is Malcolm Teasdale signing off. Before I do, please check out my website, malcolmjteasdale.com, for more information about my travels around the world. Okay, folks, talk to you later. Bye for now. Stay safe.